minus 20 seconds. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mini Bernabe Show. Today we have a very special guest on the show. We have Brandon Cosley. Brandon is the director of AI and data science for a major healthcare insurance group. And we have him on the show today to talk about the impact of AI in healthcare. We're going to talk about some of the promising use cases for AI in medicine. We're going to talk about some of the issues that we're seeing. And we're also going to talk about how innovation leaders can get started within their organizations to become a more AI driven, data driven um, organization. All right, so we are live today and that means that you get to participate. So don't be shy about putting in your comments, your questions. I'll check the chat every so often. If you like what you see today, make sure that you're following the Manny Bernabe show on LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Manny Bernabe, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on YouTube to get updated on future shows. So with that, help help me uh, welcome my very special guest, Brandon Cosley. Brandon, come on to the stage. Hey, Brandon, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing today, Manny? Doing very, very well. Um, Brandon, I think we should just jump into the fun stuff. Let's start talking about what is exciting for you when you think about AI in healthcare in the next three, five years, like best case scenario, everything works out, the companies get their infrastructure in place, leadership appreciates why AI and machine learning is important. We uh, find a way to get around the whole privacy issues. What's What are some of the, the top use cases that you would love to see in five years? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, for me, Manny, it, it's really about, you know, thinking, you know, about the realm of the possible, like what's really possible if we think about, you know, artificial intelligence and its applications to healthcare. There's probably no other topic that is as nearly personal and important to every single person on the planet than healthcare. Uh, and, you know, there's no question that artificial intelligence, machine learning and data science all have the potential to have a really big impact. Um, but obviously, you know, as an industry, um, as, you know, a, a practice, um, you know, they, there's been some significant challenges to get there. But I'm an idealist, and uh, and I like to believe that um, you know there there is a better future, and 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 that future can be enabled by some of the tools and technologies uh, you know associated with artificial intelligence. So so let's do this. Let's let's just kind of think about like what are the things that just kind of drive you crazy about healthcare today, right? Just as a person who experiences it. And, and I think if, if you're like me, you know, you, you, you want healthcare when you need healthcare. Otherwise, you, you don't think about it a whole lot. Maybe you, you know, do some things to keep yourself fairly healthy, but every once in a while you might make a wrong turn, you know, here or there. So I like to use the concept of a map. And really thinking about kind of the experience that that I want out of out of the healthcare system and 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 even how it integrates with my life, as sort of you know to use an analogy, right? To think of of kind of how Google Maps works for us, right? So it's this idea that we want we know we want to get somewhere, and in order to get there, we need some direction, 
And that direction needs to be informed by a whole bunch of different things, right? It needs to be informed by our health status. It needs to be informed by, uh, you know, our decision making. It needs to be informed by, you know, some other, you know, behaviors that we've had in the past. Needs to be informed by what's available to us, right? Um, in our in our immediate vicinity. So, you know, I think in the future, right, where AI could really have a major impact on the how we experience healthcare is helping us to kind of bring together both expert knowledge as well as individual personal experiences, blend that data together to create an experience that gives us the opportunity to augment our lives in this a similar way that you know getting directions from google maps allows us to kind of you know augment the way in which we traverse you know our geographies um, interesting if I, I could and brandon what i'm hearing is like hey um like almost like a better user interface to using all of the healthcare data and knowledge that we have out there to make everyday decisions i like the the google maps thing i have to get an a to b and you know here are all the tangible steps that i have to do to get to b and I, I'm thinking like almost like if that's like in the healthcare context, it's like I would love to, you know, feel like like this healthy today or I would love to have this energy level today. What are the, the, the different steps that I have to take this week, you know, in terms of diet and exercise and in, in context of my history, in terms of what the uh, my doctor is saying to help me kind of lay that out and say, hey, here are the four things that you absolutely have to do today to try to, to get you to that goal. Is that kind of how you're you're, you're thinking about it? Yeah. And, 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 and it's dynamic, right? So it, you know, I may make a wrong turn, so to speak, right. To, right. to kind of, you know, to, to push the analogy a little further, uh, I, I might accidentally stop off, you know, and have a burger and maybe a few beers somewhere. And, um, you know, certainly that's not helping me reach any particular, you know, positive health goal. So, you know, it's, it's gotta be capable of, you know, um, experiencing and, and, and dynamically changing your route to your destination, um, while also alerting you of potential roadblocks to that route, right? So, so again, you know, really sort of thinking about, um, and, and in order to do that, right, in order to have a system that can create that kind of experience that helps you navigate your, your, the world around you in the context of your health, right? In order to create that experience, there does, there needs to be a coming together of diverse sources of data, there needs to also be a coming together of both expert knowledge in the research literature in terms of thinking about medical best practices and, and those kinds of, of um, you know, sources of information that drive our provider decisions for you know, some of the things they recommend that we do. But bring that in context of user experiences, right? The experience that we go through on our day to day, which is that, hey, today I forgot to work out. Or you know, today, like I mentioned, I had maybe a little bit more food than I should have or went to the wrong place or, or whatever it is, right? Um, that those two things can come together uh, and, and we can start to develop recommendations for people to guide them along their healthcare pathways uh, to, to, you know, essentially seek, um, you know, better, more positive outcomes. Um, you know, and, and I think also you could, you could extend this same kind of, you know, concept into the provider space as well, right? So consider this, providers today, are often working with sort of um, their vast educational experience, their expertise in the field, but nevertheless, that's still a limited view. Uh, and so these same kinds of tools or the same kind of concept, right, can help enable 
better, more better decision making and more information sharing with providers um, to be able to make sure that in the context of treating an individual, they're asking the right questions. Uh, put yourself in this situation, right? You go to the doctor. The doctor says, "Hey, we got your lab results back, and you know, you're, you've, we're going to diagnose you with with this this condition." Well, that might be really new information for you uh, in that moment, and it's difficult to know what kinds of questions you should ask. Well, a health map might, you know, say, "Hey, you know, I recognize you've just been diagnosed with this. Here are some good questions that you can ask your provider to help enable a more positive outcome for yourself." And those things, artificial intelligence can help those kinds of recommendations become more personalized, totally. right? Given what we know about people, their behaviors, and how we blend that data together, that helps to produce opportunities to create more personalization and also to create, uh, you know, sort of more valuable recommendations in those contexts. I, I really like that, Brandon, because I think one of the key challenges or, or I guess the, the, the key trends that I'm seeing is that we're going to have a lot more data available from dis, different disparate sources as a as a, um, a healthcare seeker or um, uh, as a patient. So, for example, I'll have my IoT enabled devices, my Oura Ring, my Apple Watch. I'll also have like um, um, a lab tests that I'm now having access to. Uh, I know some folks are getting, you know, DNA uh, genetic sequencing and, and information to get information about what what they might be susceptible to. And so I think people are just going to have a lot more data sources about themselves uh, to make decisions. And to the extent that we can plug in the healthcare system and experts and have one view of that, that's going to be cool. But I think it's also going to be a lot of data to process. And it's going to be very easy to be overwhelmed by it and not really make sense out of it. And you're going to need AI to tease out the insights from all of that data so that you have information not just have a have a whole bunch of um, metrics and readings that that you're not going to know what to do with. Yeah. And, and that's a really tremendous point. You know, I think that, you know, if there's one thing that we know and we need to keep this in mind, uh, because one of the challenges we face today is the reality that artificial intelligence overpromised and underdelivered in healthcare. And so we are experiencing a lot of the ripple effects of that, you know, kind of consequence. Um, and, and so it's created some additional challenges that weren't mm. necessarily there whenever AI kind of first was introduced into the healthcare space. Uh, and, and so what, what we're dealing with here is, you know, health is complex. We as humans who have spent centuries studying our bodies, studying all of the different factors that influence our health and our ability to be healthy, that, that even in that context, that even with all of this data, we still have a limited view. <laughs> we don't right. have all the information. And it's likely that we won't ever have all the information because in some cases we're motivated not to share things. In other cases, we just simply don't know because the complexities of the relationships between genetic factors, environmental factors, mental you know, factors, things that, that are you know, constantly working to influence our, our you know, healthcare and the way that it expresses itself um, is such a complex you know, kind of scenario that I, I think that the expectation you know, to suggest that we would ever have a complete view 
uh, is, is unrealistic. So instead, we have to work in, in the space of understanding that we'll always have an incomplete view. So what we need to do is we need to have a way of identifying what the priorities should be for any given individual. And that gets to your point, which is how do we identify the key data elements as we bring all this data together that are most impactful and most informative for an individual? And there's another challenge that we face when we do that, which is that things that I may value as an individual consumer, my doctor may not value as my provider or my yes. insurance company may not value as right. a payer of that, those experiences. Right. And so there's competing information in this system as well. Uh, and so we have to find a way uh, to, to work through that. I think actually I saw a comment that, that I want to highlight. Um, so Andrew Arbuckle said, incentivizing the utilization of an AI platform really seems like the crux. And I couldn't agree more. I think that there are a lot of opportunities for us to think through, you know, what, how do we incentivize consumers? How do we incentivize providers? Right. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, AI really did kind of overpromise and underdeliver uh, when it was first introduced into the industry. And that created, I think, a little bit of a backlash, particularly in the provider space, really in terms of, you know, trusting artificial intelligence in the context of their work. Um, you know, ultimately, if you look across all industries, we as consumers place a tremendous amount of trust in our artificial intelligence tools. Right. But the one area that that just isn't quite as true is in healthcare, particularly with healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. So in order to be able to incentivize both for providers, you know, those who are working as professionals in the space, as well as with consumers is, I, I think we have to kind of rehumanize the AI. The AI isn't here to take over your health or to take over your job. What it's here to do is it's here to augment. It's here right. to take a complex issue and provide you with some clear recommendations because it's bringing together information that are not totally visible to every individual who's you know responsible in this space in one way or another. So you know I, I think that that's a really interesting idea. Is is the question of how do you build those incentives? How do you create that those opportunities? for people to want to contribute to a system like this. Right. And I, I really like your point about the different players, the the patient, the healthcare providers, the insurance companies, the hospitals. And then you also have different roles as well. Your doctor, your patient, your nurse. And so it, it almost seems like you're going to have to build a utilization function for each one of those roles depending on what they need, right? Like a doctor is going to want a prescription, but then they're also going to want you, they're going to want the AI to show reasons for that prescription, evidence, connections, things like that. Whereas a patient might want something different. Great point, right? And that brings up the issue of explainable AI. I think probably in the near term, one of the best things we could do as an industry is to work harder to bring more explainability into the AI solutions that we're deploying, especially with staff whether that staff be medical workers or it be staff in payer companies or it be staff anywhere really in that healthcare continuum that right. we really need to present more, we need to be, to I think, to be more responsible uh, for creating sort of explainable AI, uh, AI that, 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 that can at least provide explanations to the user for how it came to a particular conclusion or decision.
And Brandon, a little bit of context for every, everyone. When we're talking about explainable AI, it's, it, it has to do with this feature when you're developing an AI solution. So um, I can develop a solution that is very explainable where I can tell you exactly how the inputs led to the output. So this data point, because it was at this level, and this is why the model is recommending this option. And that uh, that's helpful, but it's also not as precise. I can get very precise and put in a lot of data into the model, but then I have a little bit less clarity in terms of what are the inputs that are driving the output of that model. And that is very that can be very precise, very accurate. But then if you have to figure out like why you got to a certain solution, it could be problematic. And I think we've erred on the side of being super precise and less explainable in the past with our AI solutions. And 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 you think like as a data scientist, like, oh, I'm going to have a high precision rate. I'm going to have a high recall rate. It's going to be super good. But the flip side is that if you can't explain how an AI solution got to a particular um, a recommendation to a doctor, to a nurse, they're going to be less comfortable going with that recommendation. And they're going to be less comfortable when they get questions from the patient. So like, how you know, what are they going to say to the patient? Like, oh, I'm just going with what the AI told me. I, I don't know why, like we got here. Like, no. So you have to really focus on, you might find a better balance of maybe not having as much of precision, but, but being able to explain why an AI solution got to a particular recommendation. Yeah, it's absolutely right on. And I think that's where we really, really struggle, you know, and, you know, I, I think there's, there's the influence of, you know, the industry that is, you know, data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence, generally. Um, and, and when you apply the way that that has, you know, that that, that culture has been applied, um, you know, to most industries, it's, it works, and it's fine. For healthcare, though, it's just not the case. And when you take out and remove you know, the entire process that is so valuable to healthcare, which is, right, those conversations that you have with your provider, right, where, where your provider can sit down with you and say, look, I think you you are at risk for, you know, this particular disease or this condition, uh, and here's why, right? I need to give you, as a consumer, some of the tools, right, so that you can start to make decisions in your life to help prevent, you know, maybe that on, onset of that condition or whatever it may be. And so if we're going to use AI in this space, it has to be used in the same way, right? We have to, in order to get adoption, in order to really increase the impact that it can have, it has to really be thought of from that more human-centered view, right? Really thinking about what is the human perspective? What is the potential implication of putting this artificial intelligence product into, you know, production uh, where it interacts with people or affects their, affects their lives? You know, if we don't consider those consequences, then we, we will miss the boat on the impact that we could potentially have. Uh, absolutely. And staying on how AI is going to empower doctors and nurses. Here are a couple of uh, use cases that are coming to mind. You tell me how, how you think about them. But the first one, that, at least for me, is AI-powered medical notes. My wife's a doctor, and uh, she spends a lot of time after uh, talking to patients just writing up notes. And I feel like that's a pretty straightforward um, use case for AI. How, how, would you, how, how, do you, how do you feel about that? How do you think about that, Brandon? How yeah, do you make this happen? Yeah, no. So, you know, I think in the near term, right, if we're not talking about like an idealistic future of, you know, how AI might be able to really kind of help bring a little bit more understandability to this very complex issue of healthcare, um, you know, in the near term, I think that where the real use cases are, are, you know, really aligned with, 
intelligent automation. So things that kind of fall under the umbrella of intelligent automation uh, and then things that fall under the umbrella of, you know, extracting insight from unstructured sources of information. Uh, and a lot of the, that unstructured information in the healthcare context is, you know, clinical notes and, and, you know, uh, and, and medical records and, you know, um, interactions between, you know, doctors and patients. Um, and, you know, I think if there was, if there were some current technologies that were really getting me excited about the capabilities. I mean, there's no question that companies today realize this, right? From all the way from the payer space, all the way down to the provider space. Um, you know, there's no question that there are folks working towards extracting insight from that unstructured source of data. How it's being used, I think, is still kind of in, um, you know, in some cases, an experiment. Uh, and there, there's still, you know, I think we're still working towards identifying where the real value proposition of being able to translate those, you know, those insights from those unstructured sources of data uh, into, you know, the marketplace um, as, you know, really kind of enabling what their, those capabilities can bring. But if there's one thing that I get really excited about is I look at all of the efforts that are happening with, you know, companies like OpenAI or Google's, you know, um, research and Microsoft's research. I mean, I feel like it's almost every like week, maybe at least once a month, there's a new publication about a bigger language model, right? A language model that is just, you know, like, you know, trillions of parameters trained, you know, millions of dollars to train these things. You know, I, I think that um, we're in the in the very near future, we're going to start looking at how those language models apply to the healthcare space specifically, understanding that it's a unique language, that there are unique concepts and terms there, and there are unique tasks that those large language models could be trained for in the healthcare context that I think are coming. I think that that's going to be uh, in the near term some, where some real innovation um, will, will be. I, 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 I spot on. I think so. I think there, I, I'd love to pick your brain around barriers that keep that technology from penetrating into healthcare because my sense is that there's a lot of technology that doesn't get into healthcare. But before, and and I have there's another question here around that too. I don't want to get that. I want to get to that. But before I want to kind of, I just want to circle back to one more thing. Um, I really like this concept of intelligent automation that you mentioned. How AI is going to impact uh, um, the the lives of doctors and nurses. You talked about medical notes. Um, I have also seen talk about um, uh, prescription automation and auditing. You know, that's a big pain point, right? Like you have all these medications, they have implications. Doctors need to keep this all in their head and there are these nuances, things. To me, that seems like a pretty um, straightforward um, um, uh, use of AI and intelligent automation. The other area that I really like too is around um, enabling IoT-based insurance policies and, um, um, uh, um, and, and practices that help us encourage certain behaviors. Um, so I think of, you know, as a corollary, uh, I think of what Tesla is doing in the insurance space. They're uh, providing their um, drivers Tesla insurance based on how they're driving, based on how they see they're driving via the telemetry and the sensors. Um, are you thinking about that? Is that something of interest? What do you think about that? 
Yeah, so that goes back to my map analogy. So let's let's continue driving that one forward. No pun sure. intended. Um, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, uh, my wife has an app right from for all state, you know, on her phone that does the same thing. Right. It monitors her driving behavior. It senses when she's going above a certain speed. Uh, and so then it monitors and tracks her her, you know, movements and speed relative to, you know, the, the geospatial map that underlies, you know, where she's going and, you know, what those speed limits are and you know hey we get incentivized you know directly from that company from you know our, our car insurance to drive more safely um do i think that that is the future of healthcare i think it's more complicated than that um you know healthcare uh it, it, you know there is an issue of you know health and and decision making and culpability uh, and, and cost, right? And cost sharing. <laughs> and so um, it, that's what makes, I think, the healthcare landscape a little bit more complex than, than just, you know, car insurance. Um, and, and so it's, it's not clear to me what the implications would be if we started, you know, sort of customizing uh, premiums based off of healthy decisions. But it's starting to creep in. I mean, let's be honest, right? We're starting to see you know, the ability, like, look at smoking, you know, we, there's smoking, uh, you know, penalties on, you know, insurance and things like that. Um, and, and so I do think that um, once we work through some of those ethical implications uh, to being able to provide more custom, you know, kind of pricing at the individual level, um, that, you know, as we work through those things, we may see more of that trend, I think, coming into the space. Um, it's certainly something that I'm watching closely. Um, but, you know, again, I think there's also still the way that our, you know, sort of cost structure works for healthcare in this country is there is a lot more cost sharing uh, to help, you know, sort of relieve some of the burden because the cost distribution is just so skewed when you talk about folks who have multiple comorbidities. And it's not always clear what the reason for those comorbidities are. They could, you know, in a lot of cases be simply genetic. Um, and, you know, it's it's very difficult to penalize a person, right, for something that they're born into. And, and that creates a lot of ethical problems. So I think that, you know, it will look a lot different if we get there. Um, and it will probably be more around incentivizing healthy behaviors than penalizing unhealthy behaviors, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it, it may it may not be the healthcare providers um, uh, driving this. It may be the, the, the companies that might be driving this as trying yeah. to keep their overall policy uh, premiums down. Uh, let's see Absolutely. here. We have, we have a comment here around genetic variability seems like a hurdle to this type of model. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which part, what part of it is genetic? What part of it is based on decisions? It's going to be hard to tease that out. I think you, 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 you hit that point, Brandon. Yeah. And this is an interesting area for artificial intelligence, right? Because, you know, mm. we just, we just read last week or the week before or whatever, um, how we've, we've completed the mapping of the human genome, you know? And so we have this, um, tremendous resource available, um, that, you know, provides us with expert knowledge on our genome. We also have a very rich research literature uh, in the medical space and in the healthcare space. Um, and then we also have lots of rich information about uh, how individuals experience, you know, other sort of extra health kind of, um, you know, factors social determinants and, you know, other, uh, you know, issues, mental health issues, behavioral things. 
you know, as we're able to create a system that can bring those sources of information together, you know, we may present opportunities to learn more about what the complex interaction is between those things uh, and how they actually drive some of the, you know, sort of high value kind of, you know, metrics that, that we want to be able to promote. But, you know, let's go back to your point earlier. You know, what are the things that we really want to promote people to do? I think in healthcare that it sounds simpler than it really is. Um, and, and there's still a lot of, I think, disagreement, particularly across different individuals um, and, you know, different sort of stakeholders in this space, whether you be a consumer or provider or, you know, insurer or whatever, um, you know, on, on what what is appropriate, right? What is best, right? And, and I think that those conversations are going to continue to uh, make, you know, the the healthcare definition of these things and in, in the AI application to these things a challenge. And 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 Brandon, we talked we talked about earlier about what's happening with Open AI and that's sort of a research group that's putting out great language based models. Uh, they just came up came out with Wally. I'm sure we're gonna have we're gonna talk about that offline some other time. Um, but my sense is that you're gonna have all this innovation outside of healthcare, and then you're gonna have barriers to entry for that innovation to come into healthcare and actually help patients and doctors and nurses and hospitals and insurance providers. And I'm wondering. Um, do you see that as well? Is that is that like changing or am I misreading that? How, how are you seeing that as being someone inside the, the, the space? Yeah, so let's let's tackle, I think, probably one of the biggest barriers to, you know, the current, you know, potential for AI in healthcare. And that is, you know, healthcare is a highly fragmented industry. Um, and that fragmentation creates, um, you know, and, and not only is it highly fragmented, but the data that are involved are highly sensitive. Um, and so what happens is you have policies that work to isolate the fragmentation that's there and, you know, really kind of protect it, right? It makes it very difficult to remove those barriers, to remove some of that fragmentation that exists in our industry. Uh, and that's a fundamental challenge. And it really, you know, kind of comes back to the, who owns the data, right? Who's responsible for the sharing of that data? Um, you know, if I were to be truly idealistic about the future um, of healthcare and, and where I think that, you know, we as a society could go, um, I don't know if this has any economic kind of benefit, but I think it would have tremendous social impact. Uh, and that is this concept of, of Web3, right, Web3.0, um, and decentralizing um, the ownership of data, right? So today, in our fragmented system, data are not only siloed, right, but they're also highly, highly centralized around mm -hmm individual institutions that own that information and therefore they hold a tremendous amount of responsibility to protect that information because of its sensitivity so in order to overcome that in my mind you have to have a fundamental sort of change to the infrastructure of who owns that data and the concept of web3 is that individuals will at one at some point be given ownership over their own data such that that data is something that exists on a decentralized blockchain type technology, right? Um, and and, and is, is owned by that individual. 
and think about this, right? That individual would then be incentivized potentially. You know, imagine if you could log all of your healthcare interactions on a blockchain ledger, right? So, so you could say, yep, I, I did this, I did that. And you could have a really a much more complete view than any one healthcare institution today has of an individual's interaction with our healthcare system. So Web 3.0 gives us the possibility of that kind of future where individuals now are responsible for the logging and tracking of their own data. They own it and they decide who they share that data with. And now you have a situation where companies can come in to those decentralized platforms, request access to that information, that information from users, because the idea is they would be incentivized to do that because they're the ones who own that information and they own the insights that are being derived from whatever is built, right? Whatever AI is built on top of that information. And so, you know, that may be a little too idealistic. I don't know, but that's something I'm watching closely is I do think Web 3.0 could have a tremendous impact as it matures in the healthcare space. Uh, spot on. I think you're right. In the times that I've tried to do AI machine learning in healthcare, one of the first issues that I always run up against is getting access to data in a sufficient level to actually do any meaningful type of work. Um, one, it just muddies up the process. Like, you know, you know, you know, you're getting started, you know, from, from idea to a model, like say that takes like a week in finance or, or in, in, a, in, a, in the consumer tech space, but then in, in healthcare, it's almost like just to get raw, like good high quality data, can take weeks and weeks of time and a whole bunch of documentation. And sometimes it has, like I had instances where I've had to had, I've had to have separate computers to do the work. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. Part of, part of the issue is that it's so sensitive and it's tricky and you have to think about who owns the data. And I like that. Um, I think the other part of it is having better technology to track and track and give the right permissions to people to the extent that they can still do the work that they need to do, but it's all traceable and trackable. I think that would be sort of a good intermediate step. So for example, if I'm, um, 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 if I'm a, a research lab and I want to just carve out a slice of data for one person and I want to make sure that whatever they're doing on their cloud instance, it's 100% trackable. I know what, what, what they're doing with the data and I can take out the sensitive stuff and I feel comfortable with sharing that. I think that would be sort of an, a, a good intermediate step to, to, to have. How, how would you feel about that? Yeah. And, and I think actually there are um, some web 3.0 kind of protocols that are being developed to try and enable that. Um, so one that I think about is the ocean protocol. Um, they basically are creating a decentralized platform uh, that allows companies to come into the platform uh, with data. They create essentially um, a mechanism to be able to access that information um, behind the company's walls, but in a way that's de-individuated, right? That is protected. Um, and and so the more sophisticated, the more that matures, right? The more companies, and, and companies would be incentivized to come into this kind of, you know, so this would be kind of like a nearer term, right? Solution where these companies that have that fragmented information are incentivized to come into this space because now people can purchase their data, reducing the risk of sharing that data outside of their walls. 
Um, and really all that's happening, right, is individuals are going in and they're shopping metadata. They're saying, oh, okay, I need these elements. I can get these elements from you. Yeah, let me pay a small amount to use some subset of those elements, combine those with subsets of other elements and bring them together. One of the challenges there though, is if you're gonna combine across different institutions because of that fragmentation that I talked about, because of that siloed nature, right? It's very difficult to merge individuals, right? You don't know, you know, if, if Jane in, you know, one company's data set is the same Jane as another company's data set. And there's actually also some companies out there that are trying to work towards um, solving for that. Uh, because it is an important, you know, kind of issue related to, you know, I think if there's one thing that we've recognized in this conversation, uh, it's the importance of bringing the data together um, and understanding that the more we can get a complete view, the more, you know, AI can really revolutionize what is happening in the healthcare space. But we need that opportunity to create those complete views. And today, those are, are a significant barrier. Oh, right. And I also, it, it creates another issue too, when you're bringing all the data sources together, because even if they were anonymized at source, when you bring them together, you might have a problem called re-identification, where you actually can figure out who the person is by right. bringing all these different data sources together. So it just, you know, one more thing to think about. Uh, let's see, I think we have uh, another question here. All right. Uh, question: Have we brought up Palantir in this industry yet? <laughs> I have some. I have folks that follow me. I uh, know that I, I am covering Palantir. I think that's one of the the ideas behind companies like Palantir. I think you mentioned mentioned the Ocean Protocol. And, and which which companies behind that, Brandon, or is that just sort of a, a general um, protocol that people are following? So it's their their it's their it's it's its own entity. Uh, it's its own sort of open source entity. Uh, they, they, um, I believe, or at least my understanding is uh, that they um, support their own blockchain technology um, that is enabling some of these um, collaborations uh, across. Uh, and, and really the goal is to open up more access to data for data scientists, but also create a marketplace of open data uh, so that it can be shared uh, data can be transformed. You can then reaccess that data in its transformed state so people can add incremental value to data. Um, and so it creates kind of this decentralized kind of distributed environment uh, for working on uh, data, data related problems. And I see some application of that to healthcare, but it's been applied, I think, to, to a lot of other industries. Right. And I think why people are calling out Palantir here is because Palantir started in the intelligence services world. And so there, of course, you would be sensitive to data and who has access to what. And uh, since then, they've, they've branched out into the commercial world, doing some more stuff in industry. So I think that's the, the reason behind some of these comments around like, hey, you know, maybe Palantir has some way to approach that uh, problem in terms of uh, data ownership and stewardship and, and, and tracking that. Um, there was a comment earlier that I wanted to bring up by Rachel Blakely around, is there data to suggest that AI can help reduce how often implicit bias in healthcare works negatively to impact patients. And I think that comes up, that, that touches on another point that we want to talk about too, around challenges within um, healthcare, which is around biased bias um, in terms of the, the, the bias in the data, bias in treatment. How are you thinking about that? Yeah, these are great questions. Hi, Rachel. Uh, Rachel is one of my old students, so um, really glad to see you uh, on here and interacting. It's uh, I hope you're doing well. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think um, there is, you know, a, a real concern um, with 
you know, the way in which um, our, our models are used in healthcare. And there's a need um, for us to continue to bring more governance into that process in order to be more responsible in the use of those models. Um, and so here are some reasons um, that, you know, artificial intelligence um, is at significant risk for, you know, some of these complaints of bias in, in healthcare. Um, it really has to do with the fact that in a lot of scenarios, the collection of that data is biased. So the data are inherently biased whenever we go to build our models. So it becomes very difficult, um, you know, to really understand the true impact of different predictors for particularly, you know, socially sensitive groups. Um, because in a lot of instances, there are disincentives uh, for some of those socially sensitive groups, um, you know, to not seek healthcare, right? To not seek care in our system. Um, and I think that that's a challenge that we continue to face. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's a place for AI to, to try and address that. I think in you know, some areas of, of, you know, kind of innovation that I am really, really getting excited about um, are the use of artificial intelligence to create synthetic data. Uh, I think, and I'm, I'm really curious, this is sort of an open question that I have is, you know, can we leverage our medical expertise, right? The knowledge that we have in the research that's been done that does tackle social determinants of health in order to really understand better estimates of base rates for different conditions across socially sensitive groups, and then use that information to help us develop synthetic data sets that help to remove some of the potential bias in the models that we're building for those early disease detections or, you know, those utilization patterns or whatever it may be that we're trying to predict. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of potential in that space to be able to do that. You know, synthetic data is also really interesting because it helps to address some of the concerns that we have over privacy. Um, and so I do think, you know, we see, um, I think, a lot of really interesting applications of the use of synthetic data um, in, you know, particularly the image classification space and object detection and images. Um, I think it is a harder problem to solve when you're thinking about the, you know, types of data that we deal with in healthcare, you know, t tabular data, frequencies, you know, roll-ups, you know, that are aggregated over different periods of time. Um, you know, the distributions on those are um, not quite they're, they're hiding a lot more information, I should say, than may be apparent in, for example, an image. Um, so it may be harder to replicate, you know, the distribution um, if you don't fully understand it. That said, um, I think that, that there's potential there for us to be able to at least get do a better job of, of approximating it uh, and, and really tackling head on some of those, those areas where bias does creep in to our model building that at the end of the day, data scientists have very little control over um, just simply because the data are being collected in a biased fashion, as I mentioned. So, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity there, um, you know, for, you know, model bias um, to, you know, to be solved with AI. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I look for some of those trends. Um, I think the other, you know, the other thing that I would mention about that just really goes back to explainability. Right. Really ensuring that we have explainability and transparency so that. The, the artificial intelligence is not a black and white decision, but rather it's a tool that we use to augment our decision making, to streamline it, and potentially include information that we as individual humans wouldn't have necessarily included. So, you know, for example, right, we're really good at making decisions with, you know, seven plus or minus two bits of information. 
artificial intelligence is really good at making decisions with, you know, 7,000 bits of information. So that added complexity can really help inform what we're doing so long as we have a way of explaining how they came to that solution. Spot on. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's great. Synthetic data. I'm a big fan of synthetic data. I, um, uh, I, I, now I, a little bit of background on me. I, I was in finance and then I moved into industry 4.0. And in finance, we used to have uh, access to a ton of data. I used to sit in my Bloomberg terminal and get 40 years worth of data very, very quickly. And then I moved to industry and I find out there wasn't a lot of data there. And so certain methods that were necessary were methods like synthetic data that we have to we had to come up with and um, and to help augment our, our data set. And I, I spot on an explainability. Yes, I think, you know, my sense is that we almost need like a, some sort of guidance in terms of what is the obligation of a model builder to an end user on the explainability front. I'm wondering, like, are there any like good resources there? Because, you know, in finance, we know that we have certain, like if I'm um, um, approving a loan, uh, for example, for someone, you know, I know there are certain obligations that I'm uh, required to meet. I know there are certain issues that are certain like red flags that are absolutely no-nos. And I know that I have to be able to explain that to my internal risk department and regulators. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything out there right now uh, for, for something like that in the healthcare space. You know, there's nothing formal, but there's a lot of pressure uh, to, to start developing um, exactly what you're referring to. Uh, and so AI governance um, is becoming a more and more important topic. Um, you know, the more embedded a company is with artificial intelligence, you know, in other words, the more decisions they're making, with artificial intelligence as effectively the, you know, sort of quote unquote last stop before the decision, um, you know, that, that the, in other words, the closer the model are to the people they impact, um, the more important developing good governance policies and practices around responsible use of those models um, is going to become increasingly important. And we're actually even seeing legislation, right? There's, um, you know, there have been court cases and, you know, there have been, you know, people have been, companies have been sued uh, because models, you know, were effectively, um, you know, as I mentioned, the last step before, you know, a decision was made to affect a person. Um, and when it was found that that model was making biased decisions, um, you know, it, it caused, it, it led to a lawsuit. And so you know, that kind of pressure is going to continue to make that a very real concern. Um, there is, I, I, you know, I think there is no good governing body today. Um, I think that will change soon. Um, you know, I think even just more generally, uh, AI is an industry, you know, across all of the different industries it impacts, um, there's a lot of conversation around, you know, creating responsible AI use. Um, you know, even at the you know, government level, there's a lot of conversation about AI strategy, you know, and, and what that means and, and what governance means. And I, I think we're re really still working through that. This is one of those situations where, you know, the business pace uh, has far out, you know, outpaced, you know, what, what's happened from a regulatory perspective. Um, so, you know, what we're going to have to do is, you know, support the creation of, you know, openly accessible checklists. Uh, to be able to share across, you know, data science teams that are working not just in healthcare, to be honest. I mean, this is true for, you know, really any area where AI is impacting individuals, because as soon as that, that model or, or, you know, that, that machine learning, um, you know, algorithm impacts a, a person, you know, all of a sudden what happens is, you know, 
we run the risk of scaling our biases out of control. Um, and, and we, you know, again, like I said, we've gotten some taste of that already. And so, you know, we need to be asking the, the hard questions to, to get us to, and doing the, the, having the discipline to do the work, right. That says we need to make sure that we're, we're checking these boxes. And so, you know, we're putting the you know, good, responsible, mature AI teams and data science teams are doing this internally. I'd like to see more of an open source effort, you know, coming together across um, across industry and, and across team to, to really kind of provide um, a good resource for all teams, especially, you know, as you look at, you know, the need for small companies to start really leveraging these tools and technologies to stay competitive, you know, they need their resources as well. And, and this is just a fundamental, you know, kind of ethical, moral obligation that we have. Uh, spot, spot on. Brandon, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you would recommend for companies, for, for, for innovation leaders within the healthcare space. Um, you know, people that are excited about where we're going with AI and data-driven frameworks. How, how, how should they be thinking about the next three months? How do I take this energy and this excitement and translate it into something tangible for my team and for my company? Yeah. So, you know, start small, right? Um, start small. The day, you know, what at the end of the day, the most important asset, you know, to ensure successful artificial intelligence is data. Uh, so making sure you've got good quality data, making sure that your data sources, you know, obviously, you know, as various companies have, you know, different data sources that, um, you know, are more or less valuable to them because, you know, it, it fundamentally affects, you know, the operations of that company. Um, you know, and so start with that, you know, data that are near and dear to your heart. Consider the use cases that, you know, might be able to, um, you know, be applied to artificial intelligence. You know, what are the, the, the real pain points or, you know, the true kind of KPIs that you're trying to drive? And will data and the ability to use prediction and classification help to further drive that KPI, right? Further drive the, the kind of, you know, the intent that you have as a business, stay focused on that KPI as you build, you know, those, those opportunities, be ready to experiment uh, and to try a few different things in terms of solutions for driving value with that particular KPI, um, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day um, and stay focused, right? Stay focused on, on, you know, kind of, you know, leveraging small wins uh, because those small wins can become really you know, great, you know, uh, models essentially for how you go about applying AI to the rest of your business. The other thing that I would say too is um, it's not just the data and then the skill set required, you know, to be able to leverage data science tools with that data so that you can do things like drive, you know, business value. But it's also, you know, ensuring that you have the technology in place to be able to take that information and embed it in something that is fundamental to your business, a workflow, an application, you know, something. Um, and at the end of the day, in my mind, from an operational perspective, that's what artificial intelligence is. It is the embedding of machine learning models into applications or into workflows, into the process that a person goes through when they interact with you as a consumer or as a staff member or whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think about whenever I think about, you know, kind of getting into the space, making sure that you're doing it in a way that isn't over-promising because you're going to under-deliver, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and allowing some room for some experimentation but always staying focused on the key metrics you're trying to drive value with and, and you know, the data sources you need to be able to do that.
spot on and i i i um i agree with your small wins um framework and in part i also like that because it helps build trust within the organization i think to your point it's not just in healthcare but ai has been overhyped for too long and there are uh, there's a lot of skepticism that 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 you have to you have to uh, go up against when you're doing new ai and machine learning projects so to the extent that you can show something tangible within a very short period of time that gets people over that like oh okay that's what you mean when you're talking about ai for me oh that's how it's going to help me or that's how it's going to help my team that's going to be um that's that's much more helpful and i think yeah i like your 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 idea of staying focused um what i like to see organizations do is 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 look out 3 years and see where where you're going to be competitive, what is going to be core to your business, and then let's roll that back and let's think about the data and the use cases that might be applicable in supporting that that competitive advantage or that core service or that that core product. And let's think about a: Are we capturing the data in a high quality way? Because oftentimes you're not. Um, and then b: What infrastructure are we building to support that end case? when we do get there, uh, because oftentimes to your point, you know, you have a great model and it looks good, high value, the operator loves it, but then you push it to production and you're like, oh, it, you know, everything breaks. It's like, oh, I don't have, you know, I don't have the infrastructure to push it, uh, to push it into to drive value. And then on the data front as well, like we forget that the the first word in data science is data. And so <laughs> you, um, 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 you can't have data science without data, or at least it's, it's very hard. No, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that's um, fundamental to what we do. And, um, you know, there's no question. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I've, I've seen, you know, some of my friends um, talk about themselves as, you know, being recovering data scientists because now they're <laughs> data engineers, right? They, they yes. just recognize that fundamentally, right, the data engineering component is just, you know, really, um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the basis on which AI can be successful. Well, uh, sorry to interrupt, but also I feel like... Um, um, uh, companies are advertising data science jobs that are really data engineering jobs because absolutely you, you get there yeah. and you're like you're ready to build a model and you're like oh the data's not ready oh okay well that's the first thing i have to do and oh the pipelines aren't set up okay well i guess i have to set up the pipelines <laughs> yep that's right yeah and you know I, I one one area where i can give some inspiration back to some of those companies is uh you know that 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 it's okay to hire a data scientist to do data engineering but let them do data science on their data engineering <laughs> yes because we can we can we can layer in models to those pipelines that help increase efficiency, improve you know some of the quality, uh, and also maybe even give access to new information uh, that maybe wasn't there you know if you're just doing traditional data engineering. We've got a comment here from Doug on LinkedIn. Intelligent automation is a big win for creating those interactions between doctors and patients. I have seen this created. I have seen this created yet is not being used in practice yet. So maybe yeah. being created, but not being used in practice. So again, it's adoption. There's like, it's, there, there's two components to this. It's, it's getting the technology in place and then getting people to adopt the actual technology. And yeah. those are, those are both hard problems, but you have to solve them both to get the end output. And the other side to that is, you know, we mentioned at the beginning, you know, that that, you know, artificial intelligence really kind of missed the mark whenever it, you know, kind of came into the healthcare space, you know, really over promising things and, and in so doing really threatened a lot of people. Uh, because, you know, it threatened fundamentally the way that they do their work. It threatened their jobs. I mean, look at, you know, I think yeah, I can't remember who the, the quote was from, but um, you know, uh, uh, 
AI uh, thought leader, you know, a few years ago, maybe it was five years ago, said, you know, in five years, we're going to have no radiologists because AI is going to help us just interpret all of those those images, you know. And, you know, here we are today and we probably have more radiologists now than we did before. You know, and so when you come into a space and you're, you're you know, you're using language that's necessarily threatening, you know, to, um, you know, a, a very well paid, you know, kind of, uh, you know, job in healthcare, and, and that, that's not the only example, um, it become it creates distrust. And so this is one of those areas where AI, in order to be successful in healthcare, needs to recenter itself around human augmentation and the human in the loop idea that it's not going to replace you. It's going to help you be more efficient. It's going to help you look at the world a little more broadly than you might have otherwise done. And it needs that those solutions need to find ways to communicate with those healthcare providers so that those types of intelligent automation become more trustworthy for providers so that they're more willing to leverage those things. You need to have that Google Maps experience where they right. go, hey, you know what? I think this, but, you know, last time I checked your map, I got some good questions on here I didn't think about. So let's look at these other things. And together we can make a more informed decision because now that individual has access to not just their expertise, but the expertise of an entire, you know, history of industry. Uh, and, 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 you know, those create conversations that create opportunities for transformative change. And that's the way that we need to approach it. Not AI is going to come in and replace your doctor. <laughs> you know, that's just not the way to do it. Uh, th that's great, Brandon. I think that's a, a great place to end it. Brandon, where can people follow you? Um, how do people get in, in contact? What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I'm not doing my day job, uh, you know, being a director of data science and artificial intelligence, um, you know, I, I also promote uh, just sort of a, a community of individuals interested in engaging in these kinds of conversations, uh, data science, data science as, as it's applied to industry, uh, and uh, really try and serve, you know, kind of individuals who are interested. My goal is to kind of lower the, the bar to entry, right? There's you know, it impacts all of us. It's it's ubiquitous, right? So we need to really upskill our entire population and 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 allow opportunities to to create that space for people to not feel intimidated by these concepts, so that they can ask questions and they can learn and they can experiment on their own and they can you know um, really get involved. And so I have my um, sort of community is called FastDataScience.ai. You can check out the website. I've got a YouTube channel where I do uh, I, I review news uh, in in AI and, um, and and try and be mild funny about it uh and uh and, and then i've, I've published you know blogs on, in the space just to kind of keep myself fresh so i really appreciate that manny uh, and i really appreciate you having me on this is a, a really great conversation and uh i had a lot of fun i was a little nervous coming into this uh but uh i think i had a lot more fun than uh than i was anticipating so uh you know to your point this is great <laughs> it, no it's great we just blew through a whole hour I, I i look up and we're at the top of our hour like oh my gosh um but i put fast uh fast data science.ai is that yep. right okay so yep. that's that's on the board here definitely check that out um i'm really digging your youtube videos i think you're doing a weekly thing a, re a recap of what's going on with ai so that's great and definitely give brandon a follow on linkedin where i think he's pretty active and on twitter as well and uh brandon i think i think we're gonna have to do this again sometime soon 
I'm happy to do it. I, I, I love chatting with you. This was a great experience. So thanks again, Manny. I uh, really look forward to following your show and more conversations that you're going to have in the future as well. So uh, I'll definitely continue to support this. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have yourself a great day. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it.